Uh, the reading is taken from Second Peter and chapter 1. And we're reading the first 11 verses of the chapter. <clears throat> Second Peter chapter 1 from verse 1. Simon Peter, a bond servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us, by the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you'll be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. The Lord bless that portion of his word to our hearts. Let's bow for a moment of prayer as we come to consider that word. Let's pray. Father, we, we bow before you. We've been uh, asking as we uh, sung in, in the previous hymn that you would speak to us, O oh Lord, as we come to you. And Lord, those are uh, the, the cries of our heart this evening. Our time around your word would be would be uh, in vain if you didn't make it live to our hearts. But we thank you that your word is a living word. It is a relevant word. It is appropriate for us tonight, whoever we are, whatever we're going through, we thank you that your word is relevant to us and we pray that you'll take it and apply it to our lives. <laughs> pray you'll help us as we consider it together. And again, we pray that through consideration of your word together tonight, that Jesus may be uplifted. We ask these things in his name. Amen. And amen. Take, you'll not be offended if I take my jacket off. You're nice and warm in here. So, uh, thank you. Well, we want to consider the, the verses that we've read together. Uh, and, and you probably would want to entitle the, the thoughts from 
the passage, at least the, the parts of it that we're going to look at, uh, as being knowing God. You may remember that, um, that, that um, J.I. Packer wrote a book many years ago, a great book entitled Knowing God, uh, and it is, uh, it is a book that has been a classic in, in describing the attributes uh, of God and what that should mean to us as, as the Lord's people. But, you know, the world places a great deal of emphasis upon knowledge. The academic prowess of gathering for ourselves knowledge. That the need for, for qualifications, of course, that is appropriate. In this world today, now I left school at 15, and I didn't do any O-levels at that time. I did one English one after that, and, and I did other exams of different kinds. But, but I left school with no qualifications Back in that day, that wasn't such a thing. A lot of people did that. Nowadays, that would be a problem. But the world puts a lot of emphasis on qualification, upon degrees and, and, and other kinds of qualifications. Now, in First Peter, he has been writing to, to the Lord's people, uh, and he's been emphasizing the grace of God. But in the second letter, Peter is emphasizing the knowledge of God. And the knowledge that Peter is emphasizing, he does it in, in a number of different ways. And at least 16 times, he uses the words knowledge or know, as in know God, or, or uh, known or knowing. Uh, and uh, they're, they're all applied in different ways, but they all relate to knowing God personally. Now, I was gripped when I was reading through this letter a little while ago about uh, the phrase that occurs five times in the letter. It occurs three times in the passage that we've just read together, and that is the knowledge of God. Uh, as I said, it occurs five times. It uh, occurs um, three times that we're going to look at this evening. It occurs uh, towards the end of chapter two and it occurs towards the end of chapter three as well. When I was a student at the Faith Mission Bible College in Edinburgh, a lot of years ago, over 40 years ago now, we, we had a student from uh, Switzerland who was studying with us. His English wasn't great when he first came to us, but he had a heart to make the gospel known. And, and we used to go down to the mound every uh, Sunday afternoon to hold an open air service, uh, Speaker's Corner, the mound used to be, of course. And uh, it was his turn to get up and, and, uh, and have a go um, on this one particular Sunday afternoon. Two or three people used to speak over the course of an hour We'd sing various things and somebody would testify. But two or three people would bring a short word from God's word. Uh, and Marcel stood up and, uh, and he got on the soapbox and he started to shout, You can miss heaven by 18 inches. So he shouted it once. And then he shouted it a good bit louder the second time. You can miss heaven by 18 inches. And the people walking past us starting to look and think, what is he on about? That man's a bit odd. Uh, and then he shouted it the third time, louder still, and, and people stood and started to listen because they were intrigued. What is he shouting about? And then he said, because 18 inches is the distance between your head 
and your heart. And if you only know about God, and it hasn't touched and changed your heart, then you don't know God, and it has done you no good. Uh, and of course he began to emphasize uh, on this. The word used here that Peter is referring to, knowing God, encapsulates that very thought. It is uh, a word that speaks of an experiential knowledge of, not just an academic knowledge, an intimate living knowledge, a close living relationship with, is the word in the original that is translated here as knowing God. John 17 and verse 13 say, uh, verse 3 says, This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So this is not a, a mere academic knowledge. It's not just a doctrine. It's not just a matter of theology. This is a practical knowledge that Peter is speaking about. After I'd left Bible College, I was down uh, in the work in England for a while in East Anglia, uh, and then um, I, I was asked to come and lead a, a team doing outreach, first of all uh, at Cramlington, oh, sorry, Bedlington, just north of Newcastle, uh, and then we, we uh, moved again and we uh, came across to Kilsyth and to Queensyburn, and we were doing outreach in that area during the course of, of one summer. And I was teamed up with two other guys, both of whom were just finishing in Bible college. So I'd been out of Bible college maybe four years at that point, and, uh, uh, and they were just coming out. But, but they were different to me. They were further on than me in some respects, in that they were both engaged to be married. But I wasn't. I didn't even have anything on the horizon. And they felt sorry for me. And they made it their business that summer to see what they could do for me. Well, we were working with a church in Bedlington called the Coffin Church. <laughs> Nicknamed that because of its shape. It was shaped the same shape as a coffin for some reason. Um, after every meeting, we had the bookstall at the back. After every meeting, they, they somehow got me closed in at the back with the bookstall so that any eligible young ladies were directed that way. I'm a Yorkshireman. And a Yorkshireman's like the horse. You can lead him to water, but you'll never make him drink. And when somebody's pushing me into something, I'll be careful before I get involved. We moved from there to Queensland, and at one time towards the end of our... Uh, summer together, one of the guys pulled a photograph out of his pocket and said that this is our year group at college. Uh, and he showed me, I hadn't seen it before, I hadn't met a number of these students, I was, I was looking, I was interested. But as soon as I took hold of that photograph, one person on that photograph just stood out to me. A lady. And uh, I don't know whether they registered it or not, but they began to tell me about that lady. And the last couple of weeks that we had together, they, they, they spent a lot of time telling me about uh, this young lady, told me where she was from, told me what kind of a family background she had, told me what colour of hair she had, because it was a black and white photograph, uh, told me uh, just, just anything and everything that they could think of uh, about her. 
And so by the time we finished in Queensland and were due back in Edinburgh for the annual Edinburgh convention that the Faith Mission held at that time in August, we, um, I, I thought I knew pretty much all that there was to know about this lady. I, I would have recognised her as soon as I saw her, and I, indeed I did. I, 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 I knew her name, I knew what kind of background she was from, I knew what accent to expect because I now knew where she was from. Um, I, I, I could have answered a lot of questions about that young lady, but I'd never met her, but I did meet her. And I saw that what I'd seen in the photograph was much better in real life. And I was smitten. Uh, and over the course of a couple of years, uh, I began to get to know her a little bit better. And then I asked her to marry me, and, and we did get married. And, and over the period of time, I have found that, that everything that I saw in that photograph, everything those two guys told me about her was absolutely true. Nothing amiss in it at all. But knowing the real thing, rather than just knowing about it, having the relationship was far, far, far superior than just having the knowledge. And that's exactly what Peter is getting at in this passage. He's describing true Christian life in, in uh, the first, in chapter one, uh, that, that we've read together before going on to expose counterfeits in chapter two uh, and chapter three. Now these three phrases, or the occurrence of this phrase three times, is in verse uh, two, it says, uh, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us, um, by the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus, in the experiential, living relationship with God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, he says, uh, As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called you uh, to, um, called us by uh, glory and virtue. And then in verse 8, if these things, the virtues that have been listed earlier, are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's the, that's the phrases that we're going to look at. They're summarised with three very simple uh, headings. Knowing Jesus in this personal, experiential, living relationship is the secret of peace. That's what he's telling us in, in uh, verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you through our Lord Jesus Christ, through uh, the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're reading in the New International Version, it says, be yours in abundance. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through uh, the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. So peace, 
something that people are looking for all the time, every day, is a, a reality that we can know and enjoy through a living, intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's peace for our past. Paul, writing to the Romans in chapter 5, speaks of, uh, and verse 1, speaks of, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that word justified uh, can very simply put be made uh, to, to say, to be made just as if I had never sinned at all. Peace with God. Peace with God is about having peace of heart, peace of conscience. We, we've all lived, uh, no doubt, in, in situations and circumstances and done things that, that we would look back and, and wish we hadn't been there, hadn't done that, hadn't said that, well, whatever it may happen to be. Some people describe it as having skeletons in your cupboard. If, if, uh, if other people knew of those things, you'd be ashamed that they ever found out about them. You wouldn't want that to be exposed. But it's there. It's a part of our past. It's a part of the history. We can do nothing about it. If we could go back and live our lives again at that moment, we would, but we can't. So it's there. But this peace that Paul is speaking about, that we can know through the Lord Jesus Christ, deals with the guilt and the shame of, of our sin and our failure in the past. And so Paul says that we are justified. We can be made, we can be forgiven uh, of our sin. We can be made just before God. Just as if, in the eyes of God, we had not sinned at all. Peace with God over our guilt and shame of the past. Many people are searching for peace. Peace not just for the past though. Peace for the present. Um, John 14. Jesus said peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. Give I to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. So there is peace over our past. But there is also peace for our present now the world gives us peace that we enjoy when everything is good if your health is good if your family are doing well if you're financially secure if um, everything else politically is going right in our country it's not at the moment then we're we're at peace but when some Thing touches any one of those things, the peace that the world gives evaporates very quickly. It disappears. So Jesus says, it's not that kind of peace I'm giving you, peace like you can have in the world sometimes when everything's okay. I'm giving you a peace that is different to that, a better peace than that, peace that you can have at any time, peace that, as Paul put it, right in the Philippians, passes all understanding. It doesn't make sense in the eyes of the world, but is real and it's tangible in the lives of those who experience and enjoy it. Peace for our present. Peace when 
the doctor tells you, I'm sorry, a young lady at our church just got news this week that she has cancer. Um, devastating news to receive. But she has a peace that her life is in God's hands. He's working out his purposes. She's not torn apart by it. Her sister had the same kind of cancer and is still uh, seeking to recover from it. Her uh, father is looking after her mother who's been in a vegetable, vegetative state for about seven years or so now due to dementia. And he nurses her at home. That family's going through the mill. But they're at peace. Peace when the doctor comes and says, I'm sorry, but your three-year-old child doesn't have a virus like we thought the last time you were here. He's actually got cancer. It's actually quite advanced. It's at stage four. It's actually spread. It's in five, seven places throughout his body. Linda and I got that news a number of years ago now. It's devastating. We were shaken. We wept together. But we looked to God and we said, Lord, we don't know what you're doing. Our lives are in your hands. Timothy's life is in your hands. Lord, have your way. We ask for two things. Lord, give us your peace. And Lord, don't allow Timothy to have any un necessary pain or suffering and God answered those two prayers we knew his peace from that moment onwards over the coming months where we were running to one hospital after another Ipswich for some treatments Cambridge for another uh, Great Ormond Street in uh, London for, for uh, major surgery everything seemed to be going well they told us the chemotherapy is doing great all of those secondaries have disappeared we're going to send him to Great Ormond Street to, to have the original tumour removed. It's a delicate operation. But, but, if it's dealt with, then, then there's a good chance that he'll recover. And the operation went amazingly well. But a week afterwards, for whatever reason, he took a, a turn in his health. And while we were there, and actually while the doctors were doing their rounds, he, he, his heart collapsed. And although they sought to, say, to, to uh, resuscitate him, it, it didn't happen. Uh, and he went home to be with the Lord in our arms. And your heart breaks. And yet overriding all of that is a peace that doesn't make any sense at all naturally. But it's the peace that God gives that he is in control, that he can be trusted, that he is working out his purposes. Peace for the present. I, I could give more illustrations of things that might be more relevant to you. The point is, through knowing him, you can know peace over your past. You can know peace for the present, no matter what you're going through. And you can know peace for the future. Jesus, again in John 14, verse 1, said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not, so I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Peace for the future. Don't let your heart be troubled. Doesn't need to be troubled. If you are enjoying this living knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be at peace about your future. When I was a single lad, sorry I'm giving you a lot of illustrations tonight, I don't normally give so many. Just out from Bible College, based down in Suffolk, I was asked would I do a series of, um, uh, of talks at a lady's coffee morning. Uh, a lady wanted to get her neighbours and relatives into a coffee morning so that they, they could hear something from God's word. Uh, and so I agreed I would go. I'd never done anything like that before. What do you, what do you bring to a group of, of what I expected to be mainly older ladies? Hadn't a clue. But I felt that God laid Ephesians chapter 1 onto my heart. And I would take one or two verses every week and say a little bit about them. Uh, and um, came to uh, the uh, point where you get to verse 6. And verse 6 is that, that wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved uh, and I was trying to explain what that meant and I said you know many people probably everybody has a fear of dying if not the process and, and for some that can be challenging enough because we don't know what it's going to involve and it may not be pleasant but if not the process the 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 uncertainty of what happens afterwards is there a heaven is there a hell? If there is a heaven, will God accept me or will he not? And I just simply said, this verse is telling us that we don't need to worry about the future. We can know now that we've already been accepted by God. And therefore, when we face death, we, we are just going to be with the one who's already told us I've accepted you. Your mind, wherein we are accepted by God through the Lord Jesus Christ, is what that verse is saying. Now, I didn't know that in that meeting, there was a lady in her 30s who had been diagnosed with a terminal illness, uh, and she only had a month or two to live. And she was wrestling with all of this, and she went home from that meeting, and before she came back the next week, she had put her trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. She knew him, she knew she was accepted in him, and, and she had a peace and within six months, she had died and she'd gone into eternity. And it turned out that the lady who asked me to do the meetings knew all along. That was the very reason she wanted me to go and wanted to have those meetings because she wanted to get that one young woman in under the sound of the gospel. Peace about the future, about eternity. Knowing him is the secret of peace. But knowing him isn't just the secret of peace. Knowing him is the secret of power. He says in verse 3, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and God godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us uh, to glory and virtue. Or again, the NIV puts it slightly differently, has given to us everything we need for life and godliness. 
This is the power for living the Christian life. Through knowing him, we can know power for living the Christian life. The number of people that, that I have met that have said, you know, I would become a Christian, but. And the but is very often something like, but I know that after a, a little while, I'd be back to my old ways again. I wouldn't be able to keep it up. They've been looking at becoming a Christian as turning over a new leaf. Trying to do a bit better. But that's not what the Christian life is all about. It's about knowing him. And knowing him doesn't just bring peace to our lives. Knowing him brings power to our lives. That's what Peter is saying here. Power to live in a way that we could not live naturally ourselves. Power to be different. Because we're not doing it ourselves. He is doing it through us. He is living his life through our lives as we yield them to him. If you want a scriptural example of that, it is uh, Lazarus in John chapter 11 and 12. He has died. He's in the tomb. He's been there uh, four days. Uh, Jesus comes uh, and Jesus calls him forth from the, 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 the tomb. He, he is quickened by the word of God uh, and made alive. When, when he uh, has uh, come out of the tomb, he says, release him from those grave clothes. Set him free. Uh, and then in the next, uh, uh, beginning, the next verse, basically, but the beginning of the next chapter, chapter 12, we read that Lazarus is there, sitting in fellowship with Jesus over a meal. He gives us a power. Lazarus could not have done a thing to quicken himself, to make himself alive. But God spoke into his life. Jesus spoke into his life, quickened him. Made him alive, set him free, enabled him to enjoy fellowship. And when we come to know him in this personal, experiential, intimate, living relationship, yes, he gives us his peace, but he gives us his power to enable us to live in the way that we could not live ourselves. Because it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but it's according to his mercy that he saves us. And then by the empowering of the Holy Spirit enables us to live for him. A new life. If any man is in Christ, Paul says he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Everything has become new. He hasn't turned over a new leaf. He's become a new creature. I'm watching that clock so we'll move on uh, quickly. But the next thing that um, Peter tells us is that this knowledge of him, this knowledge of Jesus, is the secret of uh, having a purpose in our lives or productivity in our lives. People are looking for satisfaction. People are looking to be able to look back over their lives and say, it was a life worth living. This life has amounted to something. Peter says in verse 8, having spoken about the virtues that we are to add 
to our walk with God and seek to add day by day as we as we know him, as we live for him, as we walk with him, as we know his power at work in our lives. He says, if these things are yours and abound, you'll be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to just round this off in a couple of sentences for the sake of time. A life that counts for eternity is a life that has been lived for Jesus because we have known Jesus personally for ourselves. People are looking for satisfaction in this world, but they very often don't find it. They're looking for it in status. They're looking for it in, in, in the amount of money that they've attributed for themselves, the luxuries of life that they accumulate for themselves. Maybe they go looking for it in, 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 in their family and how well their family have done for themselves. Some parents live a vicarious life through their children. There, there, there are others who, who look for this satisfaction in, in, in the, the, the things that will just mock them, like, like the uh, alcohol and drugs and sex and all kinds of other things that they just get themselves uh, bound up in and it does nothing for them. It makes a ruin of their lives on a physical level, never mind a spiritual and eternal level. People are looking for satisfaction, but Peter says that satisfaction is found in knowing him. It brings purpose to our lives, living for Jesus, becoming more and more like Jesus every day. And it also brings a fruitfulness to our lives. Our lives count and have an impact upon other people as we know him. And we go on knowing him more and more. And so it is um, important as we, uh, as we uh, consider uh, these verses this evening that we recognise that our responsibility is to not know about him. It is actually to know him. And you say to me, but I do know him. I trusted him when I was a teenager. I trusted him when I was in my 20s. I trusted him when I was in my 40s. I've lived for Jesus for the last 35, 50, 70 years. You know, we can know a day when we trusted him. That doesn't mean to say that we really know him today. What Peter is speaking about is not knowing him where we put our trust in him once. And yes, we know that we've had a meeting with God. He's talking about knowing him in a way that we get to know him better every day. Our lives are molded and shaped by knowing him more each day. Walking with him, talking with him, allowing him to speak to us through his word. That's the life that knows the peace that God gives. That knows the power that God gives. And that enjoys the purpose, satisfaction. And productivity that God wants from our lives. So, thank you for listening. Uh, as we um, 
round off our thoughts on, on these verses this evening, we're, we're going to sing All I Once Held Dear. And in singing that, we're preparing ourselves for coming to the Lord's table uh, afterwards. So let, let's stand and sing All I Once Held Dear, Built My Life Upon. It, it's nothing, is what the hymn writer says, compared with knowing you, Jesus. That's what Peter's been speaking about. 